Amen. Thank you. Let's open our Bibles this morning, please, uh, to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 2 for this morning. You know, the business of, uh, of all the people of the church is uh, to protect the church. Uh, there are predators always on the prowl. Uh, trying to bring in false doctrine to all churches. And so Peter uh, begins by talking about that in Second Peter chapter, chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there were also false teachers. Peter reaches back into the past and he says, listen, you remember all the prophets in the Old Testament. Many of them were false. Now you have to deal with false teachers among you who, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. One translation I was reading said by stealth, under the radar, uh, they'll bring in false heresies. Even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Boy, there's a sermon in verse number one. Uh, their, their aim, their goal, and their ultimate destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot. That's an interesting thing. Whenever we think of Lot, we don't think of him being very righteous, do we? But the Bible says he was. He delivered Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul. Uh, Peter says, listen, I just want you to know he was righteous, righteous, righteous. He lived in the wrong town, uh, but his heart was connected to God. This righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. He really does, doesn't he? Uh, you and I are thrown every temptation known to man almost every day of the week. And God says, listen, just follow me and I'll deliver you from all these things. Uh, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under judgment for the day of judgment. Uh, Peter here is talking about the predators on the prowl. Remember, at the, remember in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, uh, we have this, uh, this, this tremendous verse that says this. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, is walking around seeking whom he may devour. Uh, Peter kind of ends uh, 1 Peter with that, with that proposition. And then he says, now listen, the devil is going out, he's walking around seeking whom he may devour, and he devours people through false teachers. Uh, he, uh, he motivates false teachers to attack real churches. 
And so Peter's uh, trying to warn uh, all the people that read his letters of this reality. Who are these teachers, the identity of these false teachers? Well, they sneak up secretly. Uh, they don't blow a trumpet. They don't say, listen, I'm a false teacher. They just move in. Uh, and the Bible says here they deny the Lord. I found it interesting that Peter used that term because, you know, he, he denied the Lord and he knew all about what it was to deny the Lord. And so these false teachers in the back of their mind, it was their idea to come and deny the Lord. Um, the question that we should be asking people we suspect of heresy is what do you believe about Jesus? That's the key question. It really is. Uh, and we'll elaborate on that just in a minute. He likens these false teachers in the church today to false prophets in the Old Testament. Remember, Elijah confronted the false prophets of Baal, and uh, they were obviously false prophets. But the false prophets in the Old Testament that did the most damage to Israel were not those people. They were the false prophets in Judaism. They were the prophets who came and said that they spoke in the name of the Lord. That's most deceptive. I've read Jeremiah chapter 6 a number of times this week, and it's very interesting. Uh, Jeremiah is talking about uh, false prophets back in that day, and, and uh, he said they were motivated by covetousness, and that's what we just read right here. So Peter connects false prophets and false teachers. They have the same kind of motivation. They have the same goal. In Jeremiah chapter 6, they were motivated by covetousness, and their message was peace. It was a false security. Uh, in the New Living Translation, it says they offered superficial treatment for the people's mortal wounds. That's what a false prophet does. Uh, people are, uh, the Lord says, listen, I'm going to send judgment. And the false prophets came and said, listen, relax. Everything is okay. You're okay. I'm okay. We're all okay. Read it in Jeremiah chapter 6. They ought to have warned the people of impending judgment and the need of repentance, but but uh, they said, listen, there's nothing to fear. Everything is fine. It was what people wanted to hear. They brought feel-good prophecies. Uh, that's a most dangerous false teacher to do that. Uh, it denies the very, uh, the, the very person of who God really is. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus uh, warned us about these things. Let's read it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Jesus said, listen, I want you to look out for these people. Uh, they, they have sheep's clothing on. Uh, they're hard to identify. 2 Corinthians 11 is uh, something similar. Let's read this. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Satan transforms himself into an angel of light, and so do his ministers. What is their iniquity? What is their iniquity? Well, here the Bible uses the word heresy. They're spreading 
heresy. And it's interesting, if you look up that word heresy in a Greek dictionary, you'll find first and foremost it means this. It means they try to create in a church a sect or a party, a group of people pitted against the, the, the other group of people, and they try, first of all, to cause division in a church. Uh, division in a church is a, is a terrible thing. It really is. God has protected us tremendously in that area for which we give him thanks. Uh, but that's one of their goals. That's the meaning of the word heresy. Uh, in Galatians 5.20, uh, whenever Paul was listing the works of the flesh, he got to, he, within that list, he said, the works of the flesh are dissensions and heresies. Usually they come and uh, they promote a superior knowledge. They pit their doctrine against the doctrine of the church. That's one of the definitions of the word heresy. It's a sect or party. Uh, the result of the sect or party is this. Uh, there's more to the definition. Uh, it deals with the cardinal doctrines of the church, essentials compared to non-essentials, the issues that have been set in stone for hundreds of years. Uh, the deity of Christ, to me, is, is the major one. Uh, those people who propose heresy and try to teach heresy tell us, in some cases, that Jesus was a prophet, not God. Especially they deny this. Especially do they attack the person of Jesus because... Because if they can refute Jesus and his claim, Christianity comes crashing down. Because Christianity is Christ. Always remember that. Christianity is Christ. Jesus is the Son of God and God the Son. You probably had the Jehovah Witnesses knock on your door and, and uh, try to stick their foot in the door uh, with their material. Well... They deny the person of Jesus. Uh, they deny that Jesus is God. So much so that they created the new world translation of the Bible, which, which takes out John 1.1 1, 1 and uh, kind of changes it all around. In our Bible, John 1.1, 1, 1, you know what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, in their Bible, it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, little g. And so they say that Jesus, yeah, he was okay, but he, was, he certainly wasn't God. Well, that attacks the credibility of all that Jesus said. That, uh, that takes the Christ out of Christianity. Um, the Mormons uh, do a similar thing. They said that Jesus is Lucifer's spirit brother. Now, you'll have to explain that one to me. Uh, and so it's interesting. Uh, those people who attack the church and they attack and they and they promote heresy uh, start to undermine the major doctrines of the church: the sinfulness of man, salvation by grace, the Trinity, the inspiration of the Scripture, substitutionary atonement, the virgin birth, and the second coming. Uh, their goal is to turn our hearts away from the Lord. See, God's goal is to is to draw your heart toward the Lord. Their goal is to draw your heart away from God. Um, to turn your heart away from God and his lordship in your life by teaching you to disobey his commandments and telling you that it's okay to live an unholy life. Uh, 
Heresy strikes at the very core of Christianity. Now, that's a lot different than differences of opinion in the church. As long as there is a church, there are differences of opinion, right? Can I have a big amen? I mean, we all, you know, there are churches of the red carpet, and there are churches of the blue carpet, and there are churches of the green blinds, and that's differences of opinion. It won't make much a difference in the light of eternity, uh, those issues. Uh, they're called non-essential things. Personal preferences, they're not major issues. Well, uh, false teachers are not interested in that. They are interested in really coming to the core of attacking the very person of Jesus and uh, breaking down uh, church doctrine. Uh, their target, who do they go after? If, let's say, for instance, uh, they kind of like stealthily uh, come into the churches. And who, who are their targets? Who do they look around and target? Second uh, Peter 2.18 is, uh, do we have that? There it is. Okay, let's read it. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. New believers, that's who they attack. People that have just barely come out of the world, uh, people whose feet are not grounded in the word of God. Now, they wouldn't come to somebody, usually, uh, that has a firm grasp upon the Bible and has been saved for 30 years. They wouldn't, they wouldn't want to waste their time there. Uh, but they, they would look around the church and they would say, hey, listen, I just want to find that new Christian that's just, just come into the fellowship. I want to go after them. They're the most vulnerable. Now, how, what is the effect of their teaching? Well, the Bible says here in verse number two, look at this, and many will follow their destructive ways. Uh, they are successful. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. Uh, there are churches that have the name Christian on, but in reality, they are not Christian churches. They are heretical churches. They are churches of false doctrine. Um, uh, their motivation is in verse number three. By covetousness, they will exploit, exploit you with deceptive words. Covetousness. The greed of money. Uh, you know, we know that money is the root of almost everything evil, right? You just trace everything evil back and somebody has their hand out. Uh, somebody's passing out the money. Greed. Jude, in his little, little letter, wrote this about false teachers. Let's read it. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Wow. False prophets. The error of Balaam for profit. Uh, Jesus was poor, by the way. His apostles were poor. He said, when you follow me, he says, uh, listen, I don't have any place to lay my head. Uh, and uh, we're just going out there with nothing to preach the gospel. And when you preach it, don't charge for it. Okay? Well, Micah chapter 3, verse 11 is another one. Let's read this. Her heads judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for pay. And her prophets divine for money. 
Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. Their prophets divine for money. Their priests teach for pay. I was reading a commentary about this passage, and the commentator said that uh, at the end of the first century, there was a book written, and some of you have heard of this book. It's called the Didache, and it simply means the teaching, the teaching of the 12 apostles, and it's how the early church was functioning at that particular time. It's not inspired like we have the Bible, but it is a a legitimate book. Uh, And... uh, In this book, it it says something like this. A prophet who asks for money or a table to be spread in front of him is a false prophet. Isn't that something? Traffickers in Christ. Well, in verse number three here, we have uh, deceptive words. You see that? They will exploit you with deceptive words. The Greek word there for deceptive is plastos, from which we get the English word plastic. Artificial. False prophets come and they have, uh, they have an artificial language. It's not for real. Uh, they use Christian vocabulary, but not the Christian dictionary. They talk the same words, but to them that means something different. Uh, I remember many years ago, I, talked to, I was talking to a Mormon, and after I got done talking to him, I thought, well, he believes exactly like I believe. Uh, He used the same terms, salvation by grace, uh, blood atonement, all these terms, but they mean something different. Their destruction is sure. And so here Peter says, listen, I I want you to know that destruction is sure. They're going to pay for their error. And he gives three, uh, three examples that you and I are familiar with. First of all, fallen angels. If God didn't spare the angels who sinned. Ezekiel 28 is a a little picture, we think, of the fall of the devil. And uh, this is a lot of words up here, but I think you can do it. Okay, let's try. Let's take a deep breath first. Okay, let's go. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created, till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Um, Satan was cast out of the, of the position that he once held in the presence of God. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 14, also elaborates on that, and we're not going to make you take another deep breath for that one. Uh, the Bible says in verse number 4, we're back in Second Peter right now, chapter 2, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell. The word hell there is the Greek word tartaros, T-A-R-T-A-R-O-S, And it is believed to be a section of hell that was reserved for the fallen angels, or at least some of the fallen angels. Let's keep these angels away from others in hell. Tartaros. uh, Until Judgment Day. Jesus referred to this in Matthew 25, 41. And we will do that, okay?
Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Uh, he uses that first example. If God didn't spare the angels, listen, he's not, he's not sparing these false prophets either, these false teachers. Then he goes on in verse number five to talk about the flood. You know, it's interesting how this one man, Noah, stood up for God in a world that was completely corrupt. Every time I read Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, I'm, it almost sounds like our world today. Let's read it. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Now, isn't that interesting? God created man. He made a garden for them to live in, and he looked down, and he says, you know, I'm really sorry I did all this. I'm really sorry. Uh, every thought of their heart was evil continually. And so uh, you know the story well. Uh, he was said, and here the Bible says that uh, Noah was a preacher of righteousness in verse number five. What was he doing all this time when God was waiting and trying to, uh, to attract the, the world back to him through Noah? Noah just kept preaching. Uh, imagine a world for, for your family with no believing friends. Noah would come home at night and say, now folks, we're it. There isn't any more out there. It's just our family. What a courageous guy, huh? He stood true to the Lord, no matter what happened. Uh, he wouldn't give in to their ways, and he wouldn't give up. And he kept building that funny boat. <laughs> and I'm sure, that, you know, we can interject all sorts of conjecture in that. As they looked at him, he built this, this tremendous <laughs> ship. And they thought for sure, if anybody in town is crazy, it's him. He is a crazy man. Well... Uh, and then it started to rain. <laughs> and then they said, well, you know, maybe he's not so crazy after all. But then it was too late. Uh, you know, the interest, another interesting thing is that God provided believing wives for Noah's three sons in this godless culture. That was interesting. And the scripture says that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the day of the coming of the Son of Man. And so we look out today and we say, holy uh, people aren't running to God, are they? And uh, so he says, listen, these false teachers, they're going to be judged like I judged the people during Noah's day. And then he used the, the illustration of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah is believed to be under the Dead Sea. It's buried. Another story of God's judgment. You know, last, last week I referred to being saved as by fire, and some of you looked at me a little strange. It wasn't a term I created. It's found in 1 Corinthians 3.15. Some people will be saved and go into heaven with an abundant blessing. Others will just barely be saved, so as by fire. I kind of have to think that Lot was in that category. Uh, Lot just barely escaped God's judgment. He was Abraham's nephew. The sin of Sodom was, you know, sodomy, unnatural sex, homosexuality, 
Read the story in Genesis 19 or in Romans chapter 1. Someone said one time, if God doesn't destroy our world today, he's going to have to apologize for Sod- to Sodom and Gomorrah. Amen. For sure. I don't think that was a very big town. But in our world today, uh, there are people everywhere who have come out and declared who they are. Well, you know, as we go down through this list and we enumerate these things, we say, okay, I don't identify with... Uh, I don't identify with the angels who sinned, and I certainly don't identify with the flood, and I certainly don't identify with Sodom and Gomorrah. But the Bible says, too, in Romans 6.23 this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, All who break the law of God, all who sin against God, must, uh, must pay the price. The wages of sin. And so you feel pretty good when you stand back and say, boy, look at Sodom. It got wiped out. Look at the flood. All those people lost their lives. And you and I as Christians today need to realize that, that the same type judgment is coming upon the whole world if they don't accept Jesus Christ as their sin bearer on the cross. And so that should propel us with urgency uh, to do what Noah did. In spite of all the opposition, in spite of all the intimidation, we too must be preachers of righteousness. We must stand up when it's not popular and take our stand and tell the people the truth. Remember Jeremiah chapter 6, and I encourage you to read that when you go home. Uh, those people in that day were just telling people what they wanted to hear. It won't help people if we just tell them that. You know that? God took care of the righteous people at that time. Uh, he sent an angelic escort to, to get uh, Lot out of town. Uh, Noah and Lot stayed true to God. You know, I kind, of, uh, I, I kind of felt for old Mr. Lot here when I read this account in Second Peter. Uh, he didn't seem to be a very happy person down there in Sodom. And, and you know, we can throw all sorts of conjecture out. You know, when you, have, when you have a relationship with God and you look upon the sinfulness of the world, it hurts you. It makes you sick. It makes you sick. Um, and so God took, God took care of these people. These false teachers that, uh, that Peter is talking about here are not believers who are confused. They are unsaved people. Uh, uh, but sometimes when you read verse number one, I want you to go back there and look at that with me. It almost looks as though they are saved. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there were false teachers among you who were secretly bringing destructive heresies, denying the Lord who bought them, who bought them. I think that word bought there refers to the efficacy of Jesus' death in the world. When Jesus died upon the cross for the world, uh, he died for the whole world. I believe that. I believe he died for every single person. The blood of Jesus Christ is for all. He bought everybody. But not everybody is saved, right? When it comes to the application of that, our Lord's provision is effectual only to those who believe. And so the Lord paid the price 
for the salvation of the false teachers also. But they chose not to believe. Well, one of these days, uh, judgment is, is coming. And of course, uh, the good news is that uh, those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Savior do not have to stand at that judgment. Uh, turn over quickly to the last book of the Bible. We still have a couple minutes, or my watch is dead. I don't know, either one. So if I see you get up and walk, I know my watch is dead. Uh, Revelation uh, chapter 20, verse 11. This is, a, this is a horrific scene right here. I didn't plan to include it, but... Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And everyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Here's the last judgment. Thanks be to God. Whenever we accept Jesus Christ, we don't have to stand at this judgment. Uh, our judgment uh, was on the cross. Jesus took our judgment in his body on the cross. The scripture says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, and so here we have the story of false teachers. Um, when Noah was taken off the earth, he was put in the ark. And the Bible says this, God shut him in. Noah, bring your family. I want to close the door. He was shut in. The world was shut out. Thank God. Whenever we come to Christ, he shuts us in. We're safe in the ark. Christ is our ark of salvation. When he came to save Lot, he tried to drag him out of town, but he did. And so what is the conclusion of this all today? This is the conclusion. The best way for a church to stand strong is to have a congregation full of growing believers. That's the best way. Um, not long ago, one of our rather new believers in the church came to me and said that she was watching some, some preacher on TV and she said, I knew immediately, that can't be right. That can't be right. And I thought, boy, that is really cool. She was a growing, growing believer. And she saw through the error. She saw the truth. You know why I stress this today? Because, because we've come this journey so far through First and Second Peter, and Peter keeps always talking about spiritual growth. Add to your faith these things. And then finally, in a grand, in a grand finale, he says this, and this is one of the first verses that I can remember memorizing. In the last verse of Second Peter, he says, now listen, I want you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. So, and so this is so important for you to be a growing Christian, for you to have your feet on the ground so that whenever people come your way or our way, uh, we will know how to distinguish truth from error. Let's bow our heads in prayer.
with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this, this morning, I, I'd like to ask you to look into your heart today. You know, I know that every week you come to church and every week I try to prepare something for your heart. And sometimes, as today, maybe you're thinking, well, you know, that's not on the highest level of my priorities, thinking about false teachers. And I'm sure that's, that statement is true. But, you know, it's interesting how you get in the environment of the church and how the Lord speaks to you personally about what's going on in your life, whether the teacher refers to it or not. And so I want to ask you to just open your heart here right now and say to the Lord, Lord, uh, what are you trying to teach me today? Is, was there something said in the course of our service today that really touched your heart, opened your heart? Uh, just take a moment and speak to the Lord now about that. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your love, and I pray now that as we come to the conclusion of our service, that you will move in among us today, Lord. Uh, I pray that as we have our invitation, that you will bring blessing to our church. Uh, help us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Help us to grow. Help us to be a group of growing believers. In Jesus' name we pray.